Good morning, party people. This is Ian Lenhart coming at you from Santa Monica, California, letting you know it is a damn good day to have a damn good day. Although there's one thing that comes around once a year that typically derails your good day, and that's having to sit down and do your taxes. Tax time has developed a universal dread across the US and is in line with going to the DMV. It just brings bad vibes. Something that always confused me is why the school system doesn't take a step forward and teach people how to do their taxes and and be able to understand them. So unless you're going to be an accountant, a lot of the world is kind of not in the know. Therefore, this idea set me on a quest this past six months to learn as much as possible about taxes, which is what led me to meeting today's guest, Courtney Epps. And let me tell you a little bit about Courtney. Courtney is an international speaker, author, fractional CFO, and accountant. She has owned her own practice for 16 years and her experience is in public and cost accounting, providing clients with tax preparation, tax planning, income tax accounting, and financial accounting services. She prides herself on having developed advanced technical skills in a variety of tax and accounting areas that have served clients from startup businesses to multi-million dollar companies. Courtney has an extensive background in business taxation and has worked with companies that span across a wide range of industries and sizes. She is the author of the book, More Relaxing, Less Taxing, Why You Would Be Brain Dead Not to Own a Business. Her passion is to help individuals, home-based business, and brick-and-mortar business has become educated in saving money on taxes legally, morally, and ethically. Now, Courtney is an absolute rocket when it comes to her passion and enthusiasm about the tax world, and I know you will get a ton of value listening to her speak on what she has learned. Unfortunately, she had some audio difficulties, and her audio file came out pretty bad, even with advanced sound engineering applied to it, but I can assure you that you will learn a ton from this amazing human. In this lesson, we discuss why you would be absolutely crazy not to own your own business, a guide to audits along with what triggers the IRS to audit you, how to protect yourself from an audit by being proactive with your bookkeeping and common missed deductions the average taxpayer misses. As always, you can watch this podcast with Courtney and I live on YouTube. And without further ado, episode 81 with Courtney Epps. Let's jump into it. And we're back. Courtney Epps. She's in the building. Courtney, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where are you based right now? In Greenville, South Carolina. You got the accent and everything. Were you born and raised? I'm from Myrtle Beach originally, South Carolina. Yes. Myrtle Beach is incredible. So many good, so many good memories there. Very touristy though. Yes. Extremely. (laughs) And your, uh, your background's extremely impressive. First off, I know I've said this before, but for everyone listening, you know, it is such an honor to have you on the call because your insights are so applicable to everybody listening, to people that are looking to save a few dollars when they're trying to build their business. You know, as you know, our whole audience consists of people that are, you know, building their own startups, online marketers, network marketers, entrepreneurs, and people that want to plunge into this world. And one of the big incentives of starting your own business has to do with the fact that you can save more money in your taxes. You know, right now in California with a typical nine to five job with like a W-2, you're getting absolutely smothered. It's like 34, 35%, I think. Um, It's insane. And then, you know, you get that 1099 income coming in. There's a lot you can do with it. But 
it's a scary line to cross, right? What's too much? Where can you pull the strings? So maybe we just start off and, and how did you get into this world of, of the tax accountant journey? So, you know, I really never wanted to be an accountant. I actually wanted to be a doctor and I ended up falling in love in high school and decided not to go off to college. And so accounting was the highest paid career that I could get to stay at home. So I went to Coastal Carolina University and I graduated with a five-year accounting degree when I was 20. And, you know, I've tried to do everything but accounting and I've owned retail stores and I've been involved in network marketing and I've done, I've done it all. But January through April for the last 19 years, that's all I did was taxes. And so, you know, the last two and a half years, I've been really, I've I took it much more seriously than the first, I'd say, 15 and a half and, or 16 and a half, and, and things have just erupted in our business. So, you know, I, I hate sitting in front of a computer all day long, every single day, and so I just couldn't fathom doing that 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and now there's just no, no way around it. We, our accounting practice has grown so massively, but we're we're finding about a quarter of a million dollars a week. We are feeding about 8,000 servings of food to children in need every single day um, through our buy one, give one model. So for every dollar that comes in, we provide a serving of food. And, and then we're freeing a child every around every three days. So things are kind of crazy here. And uh, it's full swing tax season. So that yeah, that's kind of what got me involved. It's like it wasn't something I ever thought that, you know, I would want to do, but it became a massive superpower for me. And I knew that I was really just good at finding people money. And I fell in love with that. And I started adding my passions into what I was doing. And it, it, become, it became an addiction and a love for just you know, finding money, freeing money, feeding children, and I kind of combined it all into one. So a lot of these people, when they start off doing the tax gig, right, you work for a company, and then maybe you go off on your own and start your own practice. And then, you know, from going from your own practice to the next level of starting your own firm, that's a massive step. So can you kind of tell us about what that journey was like? Were you doing it for on your own? Or, or how did that journey go? So I've only ever worked for uh, one CPA firm right out of college, during college and right out of college. And I went out on my own immediately within my first nine months. Um, I'm not somebody who uh, is really good at people telling me what to do. And so, you know, but when I was 19 years old, I was doing tax returns for $50 million companies. And so from start to finish, from doing all their bookkeeping all the way up through, you know, preparing the tax return. And what I realized is that most accountants, the partners were spending about 30 minutes reviewing a tax return that I'd spent, you know, days reviewing. And I realized that um, that people were not getting the advantages they thought they were really getting. They were not actually getting the tax strategy because the person that they thought was preparing the tax return was not. And it was very disheartening for me. And so, you know, what we did is, is completely change that is that, you know, we, I review everything that comes, comes through our door that goes out the door, you know, to make sure that we're finding, finding clients as much money as possible. But no, I've, I've always just been an entrepreneur. I've, First and foremost, I'm an entrepreneur and then I'm an accountant. And that's, I think, why I understand the strategy piece so well is because I'm not doing it 
um, I'm not doing it because I'm in a cubicle all day long and I'm saying you need to do this, kind of like a teacher does. You know, they're not doing the work. They're just telling you what you should do. I did the work. I've lost everything that I owned numerous times. I've been in debt. I've owned retail stores. I've owned insurance agencies. I've owned accounting firms. You know, I've lost everything I owned twice and gotten it all back. And so that's how I've learned. I've owned my own home-based business up until just September. I mean, we had 13 people running out of our house. Um, up until September, and I was forced to actually come and uh, relocate into an office. 13 in the house. I mean, that's yes. that's a startup mentality. It was crazy. And six kids and a husband and a dog, and it was time. But, I mean, those are the growing pains, right? Those are the yes. some of the most exciting times, too, because you're getting the hang of it. And a lot of people have to be lean it, but you found ways to to really work the system in the right way. I mean, the way you should do yeah. it, you know, in, in a fair and honest way. Explain, you know, what goes through your mind when you're looking at a, a tax. Someone walks in, hey, you know, Courtney, I want you to do my taxes. I make $3 million a year and X is, you know, this, X is this. Like, what, what are things that you look for when you're going into this process? So it's funny, we don't even allow clients to come here. So we never see clients. It's super crazy. Most traditional accounting firms work completely different, but our clients are all over the country. So they find us through social media. They find us through my book, through a speaking engagement, and they reach out and we do uh, what's called a tax strategy session. And so we're literally, I'm looking at their tax return saying, what structure should they have been what structure are they? How much money should they have paid in taxes last year? And we're going backwards and looking at everything to see if they overpaid. And, and most of the time they have by the tune of between five and $50,000 a year in taxes. And then we're going forward to tell them what they should do um, in order to change that situation and to save even more money. So we do a lot of strategy. So it's very, I, I wouldn't say it's cookie cutter, but it's like literally, okay, we need an LLC. Now you need an S collection. Now we need to hire your kids. Now we need to put you on payroll. We need to do all these things instead of saying, okay, give me all of your stuff and we're going to prepare your tax return. That's not how it works here. So you can't even, you can't even get through to me without actually doing a tax strategy session. And we won't prepare your taxes without doing that because it is so important to me. You know, you spend money to pay me to do your return. I want to make sure we're doing it correctly. And I want to make sure that you understand what we need to do so that so that one, we're not both wasting time and that you're, it's not costing you more money. And, you know, it's, it's done really well for us. But what, what I'm looking at, a couple different things. I'm looking at missed deductions. That's a huge one. That's a super, you know, big red flag. You know, finding things that people didn't write off, whether it be mileage or meals or, you know, it looks like they didn't have enough travel. It looks like, you know, their telephone, internet, just things. And those things add up, including business use of your home, which is one of the bigger deductions. And then, you know, the next step is how is your company structured? You know, so should, are you an LLC? Should you be treated as an LLC, as an S corporation? Should we go backwards and treat you as an S corp election and to allow you to save self-employment taxes? And then the next step is compliance. 
right? Making sure, okay, if you are doing these things, are you compliant? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? And then what do we do in the future in order to make sure that you're paying less in taxes? So there's there's tons of strategies along the way that, that we can implement, but I want to make sure it's instead of throwing things at people saying you should do these, this, 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 and this, I'd rather see their picture and see what's going on. And, and it's worked out really well. I and mean, we just, today I just found a client $29,000. We went backwards to uh, 2016 and uh, redid all of their bookkeeping and found them, you know, 29 grand that they'd ever paid. So, you know, it's fun to be able to do that and uh, be able to find money for people that they didn't know existed. I think that's the, the greatest part about it. Right. Yeah. And it definitely fills up your cup. You can see yourself yes. gets, you get stoked on that every single time. <laughs> when it comes to the compliance, I mean, you see so many different tax returns. What, what can you tell us about audits and what can you tell us about red flags that lead to audits and, and do your clients ever get audited even with the most amazing t- tax keeping possible? I've only ever had one client audited. So, you know, I hear people tell me all the time, well, you know, if I claim business use in my home, if I claim too much deductions, am I going to get audited? And I'm like, well, in the 19 years experience that I've had over time, I've never had a single business um, owner get uh, audited for business use of home. I've never had one audited for too much expenses. I had one that was audited here in the state of South Carolina, and it was a hairdresser, and we won that audit. You know, the biggest thing is keeping track of the deductions that you're entitled to. Keeping receipts is a is a good one. Um, but then also, the more you treat your business like a business, and when I say that, if you have an LLC in place, if you have an LLC treated as an S corporation, you are much less likely to be audited than you are if you're just a sole proprietor. So as you continue to grow and start putting these structures in place, you, the likelihood of you being audited is very low. And I know the IRS just issued uh, just last month an article saying that it, unless you made over $500,000 a year or unless you make poverty level where you get earned income credit and child tax credit, the chance of you being audited is very, very low. Because one, the IRS wants to make sure they're going to be able to get money out of you. And so and audits have cut, audits cut in half because they don't have auditors in place to do the work. So what I'll tell you is don't worry or focus on, you know, is this expense going to cause me to be audited? That's not true. It's more along the lines of if your income is drastically increased or drastically decreased. That's and and decreasing is an even bigger trigger for you being audited. So if you went from half a million dollars a year to making a hundred thousand dollars a year, your chances of being audited are very likely. But I'm not talking about your net income after expenses. I'm talking about your gross income. So if you went from grossing, you know, five hundred grand to a hundred, the likelihood is is bigger that you would be audited, but your expenses have nothing to do with it. So, you know, I, I love to explain to people all the time. They're like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm scared write these things off. Look at Amazon. Amazon paid $0 on $11.2 billion 
we have the same tax benefits as they do. There's no difference between a brick-and-mortar location, a Amazon, and a home-based business. They're all the same. You get the same tax deductions, yet people don't understand why in the world they pay so little in taxes. It's because they have full-time tax strategists, CPAs, and tax attorneys who do nothing but try to find them money. That's the only difference between you and them. You are entitled to take the deductions that you are attempting to earn an income from. So if you are opening up your mouth and telling people what you're doing, guess what? You're attempting to earn an income. If you have the intent of what you're doing is to make money, then guess what? It becomes a tax deduction. And the burden of proof is on the IRS for the first three years that you are claiming all of these expenses, and then it it shifts over to you after three years. So if you're continuing to claim losses every single year, then after three years, you you want to be very, um, very good about keeping track of the expenses that you are entitled to take because the burden shifts to you to say, hey, this is why it's still a tax deduction. I'm not in, you know, I'm, this is not a hobby for me. I'm clearly in business. And so the more you can track, whether it be with a calendar, whether it be with, um, you know, if you try, if you're tracking with a mileage tracker, all of those things, the more you become, um, I would say the more you're keeping track of anything that you're doing, whether that be keeping track of your bank accounts, your credit cards, and a software, which is a very good thing, if you're keeping track of your mileage, keeping track of your calendar, you become audit-proof, even if you do get audited. And one of the things that we have um, started adding onto all of our tax returns is audit protection. Because it's just, you know, I'd rather give the client that um, understanding or... Yeah, I I don't want them to be concerned or worried. If they do get audited, they have the audit protection. If we screw up on something, which happens every once in a while, then they get, you know, 2,500 bucks, I think, um, is included in that. But then that way, it also shifts some time off of us if if they were to get audited. We have somebody in place, a a team of people in place that can handle that for us. So So it allows us to keep working and keep doing what we do best. Nice. So you, you, you mentioned that there's a lot of best practices that your clients can do in general to make sure that it makes your accountant's life much easier. And that's maintaining really good books, being able to be audit proof by having a trail of records. Now, I think a lot of people have heard of different mileage apps and things they can use for tracking stuff like that. Uh, in terms of, say, just keeping an Excel, like what, would, what are some of like the key things that anybody can do today to give themselves a huge leg up to be organized so that they're not stressing at all when it comes tax season? Well, we, we have a membership that includes a software that literally pulls in bank statements, credit cards, and uploads those in. And you all you have to do is tell it what it's for. So, And then it, over time, it actually recognizes what those transactions are for, and it will start doing your bookkeeping for you. An Excel spreadsheet, if you do get audited, is not really going to help you. And the reason why is auditors are lazy. So they want things to be super simple. And so if you have the bookkeeping um, taken care of, sorry, the door is opening. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, so if you have the bookkeeping taken care of, that that's a big step. The next step is the mileage tracker. So keeping up with the mileage is a huge deal. And what it does is it pulls in your mileage. It recognizes when you're driving down the road. 
So it will literally put your GPS coordinates on there for you. And now we've even got a little box that says whether it's business or personal, and you can actually record um, when you're going down the road and say business, and you can say what you're doing. So that's an even further step to make it very audit for you. The other part is the calendar. You know, if, if I have on my calendar that I have two or three appointments a day and, you know, and I may be in sales and I suck at sales and it might take me a hundred people before I get somebody to say yes, then I have a calendar that says I attended earn income. This is what I was doing. And these are the deductions. So if I was at Atlanta Bread Company having a conversation with someone three times a day and I happen to have food while I was there, then I get to write those meals. I get to write my mileage to there to that location. I get her off my cell phone. I get her off my internet. If I need a little laptop, all of those things, I'm entitled to take those deductions. So, you know, definitely the audit protection is there if you use some sort of software. There's some others out there. As you start making more and more money, it becomes imperative to use something like QuickBooks. Um, you have to do that, do so over around a quarter of a million dollars a year in sales. You've got to have something that will be able to pull a balance sheet because that's required for the tax return. So as you continue to grow, I mean, we do full service. We have full service bookkeeping in-house. We obviously can take care of that. But, um, you know, not saying that everybody needs that. I think once you get to a point where you're doing about $150,000 a year, then you may say, you know what, I really don't want to do this myself. Or if you just are really bad at doing your own bookkeeping, um, then it may be a good time to outsource it. But, you know, if you just keep a good track of your expenses and income through some sort of software that can allow you to pull in and, and create a P&L. I think that's the biggest thing is a profit and loss statement and be able to pull that information and give that, print that out and hand that to an auditor to say, here you go. But again, I mean, in 19 years, I have literally been involved in two audits, one of which was my client. I prepared the tax return. We won the audit. All of our expenses were, were included. The second one was a client of mine that I had during um, the time that they got audited, I already knew that there was a problem. It was a $6 million trucking company. We were already in the process of redoing all of their books and, and amending their returns. And the auditor accepted my tax returns. We, we got every single expense that we requested to get. I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. It was a seven day audit though. It was, you know, for the client, it was super scary. And I'm just like, keep your mouth shut and let me handle it and everything will work out. And it did. So, you know, that's, and I would tell you, just from experience, don't do your own taxes. One, okay, there's a couple different reasons. You're more likely to be audited. Two, you're going to overpay in taxes. Three, I have to check off tons of information, like 15 different boxes saying that you provided me with documentation in order to do your tax return. So that's the reason why you're less likely to be audited. But the bigger picture is that no one is going to help you if you do get audited if they didn't prepare the tax return. So that causes some major issues. I just got off the phone with a girl today, and she did her tax return. She's being audited for one year, and she wants us to handle it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I would have to go in and redo the entire tax return. So instead of her being freaked out, 
we she would have sent us that letter. We would have reached out to the auditor and said, hey, we're on board. Here's a power of attorney. Don't contact our client anymore. We're going to handle it from here on out. And then you don't get pushed around. So, you know, I have been in, in an issue with the IRS and owed them some money. I called them thinking that, you know, this was uh, eight years ago, nine years ago, maybe. I called them thinking it was in my best interest to reach out to them and, you know, throughout, I mean, because I'm an accountant, I didn't realize, you know, when you have conversations with them, you sign paperwork, it literally says, okay, when you become collectible, we're going to take money. And it, it ended with $47,000 being taken from me in a day. And so I, I'm just telling you, you don't want to deal with the IRS. Let somebody else handle it. Somebody that knows what they're doing. Somebody's not scared of them. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at today. Like, I'm not going to do anything legally, morally, and ethically to hurt myself or hurt my client, but I know what's in their best interest, and I know when we're being pushed around, and I know that we're going to do whatever we can possibly do to save our client's money. Yeah, that's cool. I like the idea of that. I mean, it's just in general, being in a state of, of taking away the anxiety when it comes down to it. And there's a question that always comes up. It's the whole debate with the LLC. You know, someone might become an LLC, and then it's great. Um, and then, you know, I personally am an S corp with the LLC. Can you kind of touch base onto, you know, at what point someone should start an LLC for their home-based business and at what point should they become an S corp or anything else from there? Yes. So when you, when you start a business, I feel like you need an LLC only because of the liability purposes. So an LLC is a limited liability company. And what that does is that allows you to limit your liability, exactly what it means, what it says. So in essence, if you, it becomes its own separate entity. And so if you were to get sued, then they would sue your liability, your limited liability company, and you couldn't potentially get sued personally. So that's one of the reasons why LLCs got put in place. So the next step with that LLC, and I tell people, it, definitely you need one by the time you hit $1,000 a month in gross income. And the reason why is because you can now take that LLC and treat it as an S corporation for tax purposes. So the first step is that we have an LLC. That LLC can be treated as one of two things. It can be treated as a sole proprietorship, which is just the Schedule C on your personal tax return. So nothing really changes tax-wise. Or you can take that LLC and you can treat it as, a, as an S corporation for tax purposes. So what that means is that allows you to bypass 80% of your self-employment taxes. So to give you an example, if I were to make $50,000 a year in net income as a sole proprietor or an LLC or a partnership, any of those three, I would have to pay self-employment taxes on 50 grand which is 15.3%, which ends up being $7,500 roughly in self-employment taxes. Plus, I would have to pay federal and state taxes depending on what state I was in. If you had that same 50 grand and you had an LLC treated as an S corporation, instead of paying 15.3% uh, on the entire $50,000, you would pay yourself a paycheck of 20% of the 50 grand. So 20% of 50 grand is $10,000. Then you would pay self-employment taxes on that money, which is $1,500, $1,530. So instead of paying $7,500, you now pay $1,500. That is a $6,000 swing. 
and then it continues to grow. As you continue to make more money, you're going to end up saving more money. So once I tell people, once you get to a point where you're doing a thousand dollars a month in gross income, then go ahead and be a an LLC. But once you get to a point where you're doing a thousand dollars a month in net income, meaning after taxes, or, or excuse me, after expenses then you want to go ahead and be an LLC treated as an S corporation. So it's just paperwork that we send into the IRS. It's a one-time thing. We charge like $250 for it. The state of California is a little different. You probably want to make around uh, $15,000 or $18,000 a year to be equivalent because the state of California charges an $800 fee just to be an LLC. So there's a couple different states that charge, uh, you know, a little bit more money, but California is just ridiculous. Um, I think every <laughs> other state, yeah, every other state is is a hundred dollars or less a year to have the LLC. California is eight hundred a year. Yeah, it's interesting because when you look at the taxes, I think I did this tax deduction just the other day. And I put into a tax computer, some website, and it said, if you made $130,000 in Florida, your net would be like 98. And if you made that same 130 in California, your net's 87. Yes. That's crazy. That is bonkers, huh? Yes. And I, you know, what I don't understand, you know, I, I guess people can live in whatever state. And I, and I just got back from LA this past weekend. I went to Tony Robbins' birthday party and it was amazing i mean I, I i get why people live there but gosh you have to work so hard in order to overcome taxes because you know in our lifetime if you don't watch it the average american literally will spend more money on on taxes than they will food clothing housing and transportation combined so it is the number one thing that you should be spending your time effort and energy into figuring out ways to not have to pay so much in taxes so you know people don't understand it's like that they don't understand the difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance tax evasion is not filing your taxes right tax avoidance is avoiding paying taxes either through strategy or you know people don't even realize there's no law against not not paying taxes, but there are laws against not filing. You can actually go to prison for not filing your taxes, and you get hit 10 times harder with penalties for not filing than you do not paying. So the IRS just wants to know how much money is owed to them, right? But if you can't pay it, then you're not going to get, people just are so scared and they think they're going to get in so much trouble and they're going to lose everything when in essence, they don't realize it's like, file the taxes, and then pay them what you can, you know, so they're, they can't come and take everything from you. I mean, people are just, it's, it's so crazy. If you're attempting to pay them, I wouldn't worry yourself one bit about it at all. But the bigger picture is, is if you do owe a lot of money, then let's go back and look and see if you really owe them that money or not. Now, if you're a W-2 employee, I, I hate to say it, but you're screwed. I mean, you have got to find a way to have some sort of business. And that's the only way I can say it. I don't I don't know how to be nice about it other than the fact that there are two tax systems in our country. I can just be real. There are two tax systems. There's one for the W-2 employee or the salaried employee. There is one for the business owner. If you don't find a way 
as a W-2 employee to move into the second system, which is the business owner, you will massively overpay in taxes. And so the reason why is because business owners, they receive massive deductions because we create economy. We hire employees. If it wasn't for us, there would be no employees. There would be no money circulating. So we create the businesses. We go out and sweat blood, sweat, and tears, put in 100 hours a week worth of work, and we create that um, structure that then brings in more money into the economy. It brings in more employees, and then the employees, in turn, they pay the taxes. So if we got hit with paying taxes and we had to create the jobs, there would be no extra money. So there would be no reason for people to be in business. We would all just go get jobs. So when you understand that, it makes total sense. So all you have to do in order to save money in taxes, for one, if you are a W-2 employee, is start some sort of business. I don't care what it is. Open your mouth and start telling people about something, something you're excited about, something you're passionate about, something you can just have a conversation with people about. Me, it happens to be taxes. I don't know why, but, you know, God put me on this earth to talk to people about taxes all the time. And the great part about it is, is that I can talk about taxes to everybody on God's green earth and tell them what I'm doing. And that becomes a tax deduction for me. So if I'm going out to eat and I talk to somebody about taxes, I get to write that off. Right. Whereas opposed to I could either sit there and not communicate. And I don't get to write it off. So it just makes more sense to open my mouth and talk to people. Talk to people, man. That's it. Spread the, <laughs> That's it. Spread the good word. Yeah, I mean, I live, in, I live in California and the taxes are crazy, but the weather's amazing. We got the ocean six blocks that way. And it's like That's right. the seagulls are telling me to stay, but I feel you. I can see why people go to Florida. What is yes. the best state? I mean, is, is in terms of like, where would you recommend the, to maximize your taxes and your lifestyle and your, in your history? Well, you know, I, I think my husband said recently, he's like, Courtney, we need to, we're going to probably have to move to like Georgia, you know, one of these days, cause we're going to have to pay, you know, more taxes. And I was like, why wouldn't we just come up more with more tax strategy, you know, and live where we want to live. You know, we want to live in South Carolina. We love it here. Um, but Florida definitely, um, Florida is a good state. Texas is a good state, but they have a ton of property taxes. So, I mean, wherever you go, it's so, it's so funny. People think, well, you know, we're getting by without paying something. No, you're not. It's just called something different. It might be a license fee. It might be property taxes. It might be, you know, fees, but you're getting taxed all the time on everything. And then you add in sales tax. You know, you've got a huge amount of sales tax. So you're making money as a W, let's talk about W2 employees. You make money. You immediately have all of it coming out of your paycheck, all these taxes coming out of your paycheck that you don't have any say so of. And then you go buy things and then you pay more sales tax on the stuff that you buy. And so, and then you pay property taxes on the stuff that you own. And then it's like at the end of the day, somebody will call me and say, well, you know, I don't think I need to pay you $149 to do a tax strategy session. And I'm like, okay, yep, because, you know, it is the number one thing that you spend money on. So you don't need to pay me to tell you how to save money because all these other things you can't bypass. You know, you could go down in um, in what you want in life. You could buy, you know, a lesser vehicle or a lesser house or whatever. Or you can have all those things and understand the strategy around it. And sadly enough, and I'll, I'll tell you this, um, 
the government's done a really good job of teaching people why you that you need to be an employee. So see, they have taught taught all these people that they need to stay in the system, right? It's it's like okay, well, it's hard for me to get a car. It's hard for me to get a house if I have a if I don't have W two income. Well, that's not true. I mean, I just tell. I'm just telling you right now, that's not true. But (laughs) even if it were true, at the end of the day, we got more money to spend as business owners so we can put more money down. So even though, you know, it might be a little bit hard to get the house, I have more money to put down because I'm paying less in taxes. But the government literally would lose $508 billion a year if everybody in America if every household had its own home-based business. Because what I found is the average person is going in debt about $7,000 a year to work as a W-2 employee. So here's how it works. The average household income is sixty grand a year. If you're in California, you're probably living in a tent if you make that much money per household, okay? So sixty grand a year, they pay $14,000 in taxes from that. What's left over is, is considered their take-home, so that's about $46,000, but the cost of living in America is $53,000 a year on average. So they're literally going in debt $7,000 a year to work, 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, to take two weeks paid vacation off. That's why the national debt per household is almost $69,000 a year, or $69,000 right now. Well, what I determined and what really shifted me into sharing this message with people and why they should have, why they would be brain dead not on a home based business was because I knew that if you just started a business, you could save between four and eight thousand dollars a year. See, I'd gotten involved in network marketing about six years ago, I guess now at this point, and I did about 900 tax returns and I would show people what they look like before with just a W-2 employee and then what they look like after and they weren't spending more money. They were taking the same things. They were turning their living expenses were being redirected into business expenses and then because they're now in business, they now have these massive tax deductions. And I knew as soon as I heard those statistics by Grant Cardone that I could change the world by sharing this message. And I completely revamped my entire accounting practice. I went from being a fractional CFO for 12 different clients to, okay, we're going to, we're going to share this with everybody. We're going to, you know, I wrote a book. I started speaking on stage all over the world. Like I wanted to share this message. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we share with the masses and help the masses, that is so much greater than me working with 12 or 15 high-end clients. And, you know, I knew we could change the world. And so we started doing that. And man, it's been an amazing ride. So, I mean, I could talk all day long about taxes because it is the number one thing. It's the most important thing. It's either, it's either you learn the system or you have nothing later on down the road. I mean, it's really because... It, you know, sadly enough, we, all these people have bought into the idea that 401ks and 403bs and SEPs and SIMPLES are the way to go. Well, no, it's not because it's the way that the government found years and years ago, back when the baby members came along, it was a way that they found that they could continue making money off of baby boomers' money because they were scared to death that when the baby boomers retired, 
there was going to be this big bust and they weren't going to have enough money to continue to fund Social Security. So what better way to create a system so that, oh, I can save money. I don't have to pay taxes on this dollar today. But when it hits $1,000 in 20 years, I'm going to pay taxes on it. If I need to take money out of it, I'm going to get hit with a 10% penalty. And then I'm going to pay taxes on it in the year that you know I have the money. And then I can't take my money out until I quit my job. So I got to quit my job in order to take the money out that I am entitled to take because I decided I wanted some tax savings. Guys, there's so many better ways. So I'm just trying to share that with the masses. I know it's a whole handful. It's a whole lot of information. But if people just knew what I knew, um, it would be a much better place in the tax world. If people just knew what you knew, it's... It's so funny when you're just talking about this, you're like, instead of talking about a product opportunity or service, you're just like, hey, you should get into starting your own business because you can save more money. Yes. But it's so, it's so misunderstood and it's so tough to win that battle of being not misunderstood because number one, I think that you, you addressed it already, but people think if I do get audited, am I going to go to jail? Like, you know, you think immediately, am I going to be handcuffed and brought in and it's, <laughs> And I'm learning more and more. I mean, I'm guilty a little bit of thinking of that too before I'm starting to learn more about this and hence why we had you on, that that's not the case as long as you're playing by the rules. You know, you might get audited and have to spend more money. Um, But if you can create that trail and and do that stuff, then you protect yourself, future-proof yourself. In terms of just circling back real quick with your your business, what have been some challenges scaling this thing? I mean, you have what, 13 full-time accountants that work with you now? So we have um, 17 now. And, you know, honestly, the thing that has been such a huge problem in scaling is that I can't take typical accountants and bookkeepers and change their brain and their mindset because, see, they were taught by the government yet again, and they don't comprehend strategy. So if they don't know that something could be a business expense, they're they try their very best to not write it off. And whereas we're trying to figure out ways to write it off. So it's a different mindset completely. And, you know, there's not a lot of people that take, take people, other people's money as serious as seriously as I do. So when I take on a client, I feel like it's my client. I feel like it's my money, right? I feel like it's my business. And so I want to help them in every step of the way. And so the hardest part has been taking the information that's in my brain and delivering that to people. And we just finally got to a point where it was better off to retrain, to train people that had no knowledge and help them understand it than it was for me to to take someone and help them re uh, relearn, I guess, to not brainwash them, but almost mm-hmm. to a point where completely say, look, stop thinking and listening to all the things that you listen to. Now let's listen. Let's actually go to tax code. Let's read tax code. I've literally had people come in my office and say, you know, I've never been taught this. This is not legitimate. And I take them back to the tax code and say, who told you that? Where did you read that? And then they're like, oh, I didn't realize this was tax code. It's just a little tiny, it's almost like the three out of five year rule. Everybody on here, I'm sure, has heard that you can't write off a business more than three out of five years. I thought that too. I was taught that in college. And so I actually found a book called Lower Your Taxes Big Time by a guy by the name of Sandy Botkin. Sandy Botkin was an IRS attorney. 
Uh, he's a CPA still to this day. He trained IRS attorneys for the IRS for over five years. And so Sandy wrote in his book, one of the top myths that keep people broke is that they believe that you can't write off a business more than three out of five years or write off a loss. And so that piece of information was cut out. It says that the IRS, the first three years, the burden of proof is on the IRS to prove that you are not in business to um, make make money. Whereas after the three years, the burden of proof falls on you. So you can take losses forever. And so when you start thinking about it, you say, okay, well, what it, what about Chrysler Corporation? How many years do you think it took them to recover from 2008, how many years do you think it took all these companies to get started? And, you know, the first 10 years, I think 99% of businesses fail. I mean, do you think that those people aren't taking the deductions that they're entitled to take? Even if even if they lose money, they're still attempting to earn an income. So that would be like saying, okay, Ford Motor Company, I'm sorry. We're not going to allow you to write off deductions for your employees after year three even though you're in business to try to make money. It makes no sense. And so when you start when you start thinking about this stuff logically, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the goal well, it's is... it's not taught in school. Yeah, it's not taught in school. And the goal is, is for us to not pay taxes. I mean, there's nothing that says we have to pay taxes if we don't owe them. So, you know, as a business owner, we can buy things, we can do things, in order to eliminate those taxes, or, you know, we can sometimes wipe them out completely, but then other times we can lessen the tax burden, and that is perfectly legitimate. That's why there's 17,000 pages of tax code, right? Yeah, 17,000. Yes, So, 17, So it makes sense that people don't know this, because who's going to read that? Correct, correct. And I've, you know, I never read it before either. It was like, I relied on continuing education classes to give me that information. And it was just little bleats of information. And then when you find out, okay, well, CPAs abide by something called a circular 230 rule. Well, what does that mean? I didn't even know what that meant until about six years ago. Um, I went to an event and someone started telling me about the circular 230 rule. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They said, well, it says that when, when, once you become a CPA, you cannot be overly aggressive with the tax return. And if you are, you can lose your rights to ever file a tax return again. So it's clear in my mind and helps me understand, oh, that's why accountants aren't out there actively telling people what they can do in order to save money in taxes. Because if they get audited, they're scared to death that they're going to lose their livelihood. So they're not going to do anything to try to lose their livelihood or, you know, and they're scared that you will get audited. The only reason why I'm not scared is because I've already, I've been down this road for the last 19 years. If you were to be audited for having business use to your home, guess what? Somebody in my accounting practice would have been audited by now in 19 years. But that's not the case. So that makes me less likely that that's not true. That's not legitimate. And it doesn't matter. One of the other things is people say, well, you know, I've heard that ha just having a business in my home or, you know, having a network marketing business that I'm more likely to be audited. It doesn't say that on your tax return. 
it doesn't say anywhere on your tax return that you have a brick and mortar location or that you don't have a brick and mortar location. So how in the world would you having a business now make you susceptible or a home-based business now make you susceptible to be an be audited? What the IRS is trying to say is that as a W-2 employee, you don't get any deductions. You don't have any write-offs. So why would we audit you? Now, if you are a business owner, you are a little you are more likely to be audited because you actually have deductions. We already took your money as a W employee. We don't there's nothing else to get. Y'all don't have anything left. So, you know, as a business owner, we potentially we might could go back and get some of the money that you said that was a tax deduction, but if it's legitimate and you're attempting to earn an income and you have the intent of building your business and having an income, you have nothing to worry about. Interesting. I personally have the most unreal Excel spreadsheet where I personally made my own sort of QuickBooks deal and my, my key, I think it's amazing, but now you're making me rethink it all. Like, do I really yes. need to put it into a software? Well, I just, I will tell you that auditors are lazy. They're not going to go through your Excel spreadsheet. So the goal is, is what an auditor wants is they want to be able to take your tax return and they want to compare that to a profit and loss statement. And then they want to see if the balance balance sheet, which is a balance sheet getting into accounting is things that you own minus things that you owe, which is your liabilities. So assets minus liabilities equal your equity. If that balance sheet is correct, then your profit and loss statement is correct. So they want to see a tax return that then matches a P&L, that you have a balance sheet to back it all up. And then from there, they want a general ledger. Well, general ledger, you can't produce that in an Excel spreadsheet. So it literally just takes line item for line item, your balance sheet and your profit and loss statement, and it gives them the detail. You have the detail, but that's all that you have. It's not added up to them in a pretty little box right Mm. Uh, on one sheet of paper so they want those things to match and then you need to be able to prove that that was reconciled that the bank accounts were actually reconciled and then the next step would be receipt so if you had those things those steps you're much more likely to receive the deductions that you're entitled to whereas if you just have an excel spreadsheet you better have every receipt possible and then they'll still try to say you know he's really not in business i would just tell you it's more legitimate to have it in some sort of software i don't care who's doing it but it's much more legitimate and they look at you and say oh they might have their stuff more together than i think and so if you send that in, especially through a paper audit, because most of the audits now are paper, they don't come to your house or come to your business, and you send that in, you're more, much less likely to have to deal with them coming back and saying, hey, we're disallowing these expenses. And right. I've actually, that was, that was what happened with the, um, the state audit. Uh, the, my client was a hairdresser. She didn't make a lot of money. She sent in her ledger. She sent in her receipt. And I mean, it was perfect. Like every month was broken down. She had a handwritten ledger. It said what date the check came out, who the check was to, what the amount was for, what it was. It was literally QuickBooks, you know, in a ledger. And she had it all totaled up at the end of the year. And they disallowed every expense. They disallowed $150,000 worth of expenses. And so what, what I did, I said, the only thing I know to do is give them new evidence 
So let me put it in QuickBooks. Let me then provide the, the P&L, the balance sheet, the general ledger, and the, the uh, bank statements, and let's send it back in. And they allowed everything. And so that's when I realized it is just because they're lazy. It was the <laughs> same information. And But, you know, I mean, it makes total sense. If I can go and look at a P&L, I can make sure the tax return matches the P&L. The P&L matches the, the general ledger. And then what they do is they take a handful of uh, handful of transactions out of the general ledger, and then they match them back to the bank statement. And then they'll take a handful of those transactions and try to have some receipts. Whereas if you don't have it that way, then they can't get their steps. Like they need at least a four-step process. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think that in general, when I switched my mindset to creating this personal balance sheet, it's changed everything for me because I like the customizability. Like you could look at a program like Mint or some stuff like that, right. but it's only as good as what you put into right. it, right? Uh, yes. I like doing it myself because it's like I, everything down to every cent I put into laundry. I got this thing beautifully documented, but after talking with you, it makes complete sense that you then have to translate that to something, especially if you're making over that $150,000 a year mark. Um, so we're learning something today, baby. I love it. So Courtney, you know, if you could go back in time and you could have said, you know, one, two or three things, both as an entrepreneur and as a tax strategist, maybe right after college, and you could have saved you a ton of time, money, heartache, headache. And obviously, you know, a great answer is I wouldn't have changed anything because it's made me who I am, which is great. It's a great valid answer, but let's take that out. What were some things that you kind of would have told yourself? Well, there would be a lot of things I would change um, and not go through half the things that I probably went through, but they did make me who I am. And I'm thankful that I had those. But I think the biggest thing is spending money in condensing time. You know, one of the things, I'm a, a platinum partner with Tony Robbins, and last year I literally went to, I think, 20 events. So every two weeks I was going to an event and hanging out with Tony Robbins and the platinum partnership, and, you know, it cost $85,000 to do that, and it cost about forty grand in travel to go along with it. And that would not have been anything that I would have ever even fathomed before, um, and honestly, I didn't have an extra $500 a month when I signed up to be a platinum partner. It was because I knew that if I put forth the effort and I said, you know what, I'm going to do this, I've got to figure out a way, then I would figure out a way. And so being around those people and being around that the right mindset and getting my head straight would have made me a mold, probably a billionaire at this point today. So instead of being 38 and, you know, making millions, um, I would have probably been making billions had I had put the money and the time and effort into other people, taking other people what they have done wrong and be able to utilize that has probably been very beneficial for me. The other part is making stupid decisions. You know, I about nine years ago, I was going through some personal stuff. I was going through a custody battle, and I literally put my business up for sale, and the guy sold it to quit paying me, and I lost everything that I owned. And so, you know, one of the things that I have learned to overcome is that nothing emotional, nothing that's emotional for me today, whether whatever's going on, if someone dies, if someone, you know, I had, had an issue with uh, one of my children last year and I literally lost custody of her while I was out of the country on my first speaking engagement. 
and and out of the country. So um, that was tough. And, you know, I could have easily have given up and said, you know what, I've got to go back. I've got to deal with this. But I feel like that God puts us on this path. And so I constantly am focused on if something's happening over here in my life, there must be something even better that God has in store for me. And I focus on that because if I can't control something, I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to just let it sit up here and let it go away on its own. And I'm going to go, I'm going to keep moving because I was put on this earth for, for a couple different things. And I know that now. And I fought it for a long time because I did not want to be an accountant. And apparently that's what I'm supposed to be as an accountant. But even more so, I'm supposed to speak and I'm supposed to teach and educate the population. And alongside that, I'm supposed to eradicate childhood malnutrition. I'm supposed to help free children, apparently. I'm supposed to help help free up money for people but also to educate them how they can do the same thing. And so that's one of the things that I would probably have given a lot more a lot sooner. Um, you know, because the way that we give in our accounting practice, it is 100% tax deductible. So I'm teaching people and educating them how they can start giving from their business and growing. Because here's what I'll tell you. We went from $7,500 a month when, when the the month that I met Tony Robbins, and we started giving about 10 months later. I remember we were doing about 15000 a month, and last month we cracked, that, this was two years, this was not even two years ago, last month we cracked a quarter of a million dollars. That's insane. Wow. So in two and a half years, we've gone from 7500 a month to a quarter of a million dollars a month. Because of changing mindset, being around the right people, giving back when you don't have it. Like, I mean, I remember the first time we we gave a check to Manor Relief, which is one of the uh, nonprofits that we fund. We didn't have the money to give him. I literally gave him a check and said, I hope to God he doesn't cash it before the money hits the bank. And, you know, the next week we got a $25,000 refund from the IRS we'd been waiting on for three and a half years. Three and a half years. Right. I mean, it, it's like, damn, so that was one of those and, moments where you're like, oh, right. Okay. And I got to get, I got to tell you this because it's super crazy. So Saturday, Saturday, we went to Tony Robbins birthday party. It was me and my daughter. And, um, because it's a, you know, it's a tax deduction. She works for me. She's my, she's my daughter, but she's also an employee and she's a part business owner in our company now. She's um, almost 18. And so we went to Tony Robbins birthday party in LA. And there, we decided that we were going to give $25,000 to free 20 children through a nonprofit called Operation Underground Railroad. And that was super scary. Like, you know, before I was given $1,100 and I didn't have the money in the bank. And then it was like, okay, Saturday, we're just going to give. And I asked my daughter, I said, baby girl, what do you think we should give? Should we free one child? Because it's about $1,200 to free a child. And she said, you know, mama, do we have it? Can we can we give twenty five grand? And so we just left Rodeo Drive, right? That earlier that that day is my first time going to Rodeo Drive, and you know it's my first time buying a pair of Versace sunglasses, and my first you know, and then I bought um what I bought a pocketbook, and I bought her a pocketbook, and I bought her a pair of glasses, and you know I it felt okay. But when I got back, it was like I could have freed a child 
for what I just spent in a pair of sunglasses and a pocketbook. I could have changed somebody's life. And so, you know, that night we, we gave 25 grand and, you know, everything comes back tenfold. And do you know, I, I was freaked out. And when I told my husband about it, he was really freaked out. He was really upset. And I said, we're going to get it back. Like God is going to provide for us Monday, Monday. I walked back in this office on Monday. I told our staff what we were doing. They got completely behind what we're doing. And then on top of that, you know, on average, we're feeding 8,000 servings a day, every single day. And we made $28,000 on Monday. Damn. That's insane. That's insane. I mean, so that's what we collect. That's what people paid us. And so, you know, if you, uh, the one thing I'll tell you is to give when you don't have it. And give of your time if you don't have money. Give of your money even if you don't have it. God will always provide. Fill your head with the right information. Get away from any toxic anything. I don't care if it's toxic words. I don't care if it's toxic music. I don't care if it's toxic people. And I don't care if they're your family or your friends. You need to find new people to hang around with. And then, you know, give it everything you got. I mean, because I've given up numerous times on this whole accounting accounting practice thing and you know and for the longest time I was scared to death to even start back because I felt like such a failure when I lost my business nine years ago and I wouldn't allow myself to be a professional that's why I didn't have an accounting practice that's why I worked from home that's why I told everybody every year I'm probably not gonna be doing accounting anymore I'm gonna be doing network marketing full-time that's that was my way of uh, growing my accounting practice you know um but I was just hiding and I, and I was scared. And so stop being scared. Just go after your dreams and focus on what it is that you really want in this life. And you will always, always get exactly what you focus on. And it may not come today. It may not come tomorrow, but it comes. And, you know, a year ago I said, and I know we're getting long winded, but a year ago, I literally in January said, I will speak on stage for Les Brown. I will speak on stage for Tony Robbins, for Eric Worre, and for Grant Cardone. And I swear, like January of last year, I spoke at UCLA with Les Brown. He asked me to, to speak for him. Um, you know, I ended up speaking for uh, Tony Robbins in June of last year, either May or June of last year. I did a podcast with Eric Worre, which I thought was amazing. And then I got asked as the first speaker to ever be asked to speak alongside him at Beyond Leadership which was such a huge deal for me. And then I said, you know what? How is it going to happen? Like, how am I going to be on stage with Grant Cardone? I'd already been on stage with Rachel Hollis. I, I, I closed. She opened. That was really cool. But now I was like, it's got to be Grant. Like, how are we going to figure this out? And I swear, if he didn't show up, it was the, the uh, keynote speaker at GoPro Recruiting Mastery. And so it all comes full circle, guys. Just go out there and just put in the effort and the time. And I'm telling you, it will always come back. Give like there's no tomorrow and, uh, and, and then spend some time loving your family too. But, you know, I'm building a legacy. My family knows what we're doing. They know that, I, I, and I'll tell you this, I've told them, I told them this week, guys, I can be home with you watching TV or we can be here leaving a legacy. We can be here feeding children. We can be freeing children and we can find the quarter of a million dollars a week that we're finding for people. Or we can sit on the couch and watch TV. Which one? Which one y'all want me to do? 
because to me it's so important what we're doing is it is changing the world and so it's going to take some time and we're going to put it put forth that effort and we might miss out I might miss out on some things but at the end of the day it's it's just it's all going to come full circle and so I'm just super excited sorry I didn't mean to you know go all the way out on you (laughs) dropping bombs over here oh that was wow thank you for just going ham right there and letting people know because that was just some real real right there you going through a transformation I mean you just laid it all out I, I I appreciate that and the listeners appreciate that Courtney, how can people, you know, read your book? How can people follow you and get more information if they want to continue following the journey? So the best place would be to go, you can go to CourtneyEpps.com. You can go to OTBTax.com. That's outside the box, OTBTax. Um, for those of you that don't understand my accent, um, I've got a YouTube channel for OTB Tax, and then, but one of the biggest places I do a lot of stuff in, on Facebook. I'm not really good at Instagram, but I have a, a a a group called More Relaxing, Less Taxing on Facebook. So I put a lot of content in there. We're really trying to change the world with this whole um, Why You Be Brain Dead Not On a Business. So I'm doing free. Um, you know, we're giving them out every week. We're doing like two webinars for people, Facebook Live, so we can really promote and just teach people, you know, you've got to go out and get a business. You've got to go out and do things for yourself. And, you know, and then it all comes back. So I'm just super excited about what we're doing. I know it is, uh, I know it's only the beginning. It's scary. It's super scary. But, um, you know, the people are going to come. The clients are going to come and, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to, we're going to save lots of people money to a point that the IRS may change the tax code when we get finished. But, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do everything in our power to free up money for people. Well, you've learned how to make the government not tax your enthusiasm. Your passion is some straight up realness. So (laughs) we appreciate it. Courtney, I would talk to you forever if I could, but I'm sure I'd have to pay for those services. But either way, I so much appreciate you and thank you for coming on the show. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.